We're going to be um, in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read from Romans 7.1 in just a moment. I pray the Lord would give you good concentration this morning. I pray the Lord would help you to follow along in your Bible and see what God's holy word has to say. There's some highlights from chapter 6 that are necessary for us to be able to uh, follow and, and, and stay in the train of thought here in chapter 7. Romans chapter 6 kind of picks up on the life of a Christian after, after a person has believed the great gospel of God. Having believed in the great gospel of God necessarily includes a belief about a person's continuing in sin. And that was probably the main lesson that we would take out of chapter 6. So necessarily, as a person is believing that the Lord Jesus is God in the flesh, who's died for sinners, you have died with Christ. And as a person has believed and is believing that, he asked the question at the beginning of 6, shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. It is grace that has been poured out on sinners to save them. And, and so in a way, it makes sense to continue in sin, that grace might just continue to come in greater and greater floods. And we're taught in chapter 6 that if we've come to understand and trust the Lord Jesus in this way that we cannot continue in sin. And, and if you're unsure as to how he's made that point and made those arguments, I encourage you to go back and, and listen again to the last couple of messages. But as a Christian, your death with Christ is the end of sin's death. Now, that's a mouthful there. There's... A lot of threads have pulled together to, to make that statement. But you dying with Christ to sin is the end of sin's death. That is, sin can no longer claim death from the one who's died with Christ. And that is really the, the beauty and the glory of dying with the Lord Jesus. Sin is no longer able to exert that power on a man. Verse 18 and verse 22, references made to this person. Look at verse 18 in chapter 6. And having been set free from sin, you died with Christ. You died to sin. And he says this has set you free from sin because... You have a new master. Look at what he says next here. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Dying in the realm or in the tyranny of sin means that you have been given new life in the realm of a new master. And that was one of the reasons why we can't continue in sin that we've been studying in chapters. If you have a new master, then you don't continue on in Sin. So there's a new title we see. There's, there's a word used to describe the Christian that we see in verse 18 and in verse 22. The word is either servant 
or the word is slave. And, and in Greek, the word is doulos, and sometimes we translate the word doulos, servant, more usually, very, very consistently, we translate that word slave in English. So, if I were to try to summarize it, practicing sin as a redeemed person, practicing sin, continuing in sin as a Christian, would be like the freed slave returning to the master who used him and abused him for his own purposes and his own ends. If you've been freed, by the redemption that is in Christ and return to the service of sin. It's like a, a slave returning to his taskmaster as a slave owner. Now, here in Romans, which I, I think would be fair to call the gospel of Romans, okay? Here in the next section of Romans, we're going to have further explanation that, that is this, this subject of death with Christ and life with Christ continues to be explained. This, this idea and, and, and the ramifications of dying with Christ are not done being explained and taught yet. Romans chapter 7 continues to explain what it means to be bound in union with Christ. What does it mean to be bound to Christ if you joined him in his death, if you believed in him in his death? And, and if you're hoping that the Lord Jesus has taken your sin debt and therefore you hope to have eternal life, there are further ramifications that are gone into in Romans chapter 7. So let's read from Romans 7, 1. He says, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Don't you know that? Do you know that? And then he explains a little bit of what he means. He says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if... While her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So he just is explaining to us, he, he makes a statement in the, in the opening part of the passage. He says, here's this reality about People who know the law and the law's dominion over men. The law's dominion over men changes where there's a death is the essence. And then to illustrate what he means by that, he talks about a, a marriage and how death impacts the, the, the law on, on the bond between the man and the woman in that marriage. And so then he goes on to say and, and teach a little bit further here in verse 4. And we're only going to go through verse 6. But he goes on to say, Therefore, my brethren, you also, you also, you Christians, have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. So he brings the illustration and the application together in one. 
you become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That we should bear fruit to God. You see that? You've been married to another. Him who is raised from the dead. That we should bear fruit to God. For, he goes on to say, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. It's interesting to see how sin is at work kind of in all the, both the visible and invisible parts of a man. The sin is at work in us. And he's saying there's, there's sin at work in the flesh, arousing the passions at work in us, bearing a fruit. You see how the result of sin's action in a man, no matter what and, and where and how it's at work, it, it's bearing a fruit to death. And so then he finally says in verse 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So once again, Romans chapter 7 is continuing this discussion of what it means to have died with Christ. Remember he said, you know, way, way back there, he says, don't you know that you died with Christ when you were baptized into Christ? This, this was a, a symbolic uh, co-dying with the Lord Jesus when you were baptized. And so this, this fact of uh, the Lord's death and your death as a Christian are just a strong um, pairing here in this section of Romans. So now what he's teaching is on a new marriage. He's teaching us about a new marriage for a new life. And that would be a, a, a subheading of the subject here. So chapter 6 was asking the question, what is the Christian's relationship to sin? And a Christian has said, you're dead to sin. Right? So, if you look at 6.1, and you don't have to, this I just um, I decided to do this the other day, and if you look from between verses 1 to 11, you will see the word death, die, or crucified. You'll see references to death 16 times or more. It's like pretty profound how, how significant this idea of Christ's death and the Christian's death is a, just a very, very strong theme that had been taught to us here. Dying with Christ ends your service to sin. It changed your relationship to Christ. Remember the other thing that happened? Not only did you die to sin, Romans chapter 6 said you were a slave. When, when you're raised with Christ, you become a servant of Christ. So saving faith transfers the redeemed from the reign of sin, transfers him from the reign of sin to the reign of grace, is how it has been referred to earlier. It moves the person. You, you're no longer in that reign. You are now in a new reign. So this rule... 
The new rule, which is called grace, listen carefully because this is a this is the thing we kind of have to get in our minds at how this works. So being in the rule of grace, we were told rules by righteousness. How did sin rule? Can you remember how sin ruled? Death. It said sin reigns, sin rules by death. Grace rules by righteousness through Jesus Christ the Lord to eternal life. This is a strange set of parallels, really. It's hard to understand what he's teaching. Sin reigned by death. Sin came by Adam. And what could you have done to escape arriving on planet Earth and Adam? You could not have done something to escape death because you were born in the line of Adam. That was the, the fundamental, the, the, the main principle being taught here. Then Christ comes, okay? This reigning of death, no matter what they do, are condemned to die. And then even Adam can hope in Christ. Does he know Christ by name? No. Adam doesn't know Christ by name, but he has promised somebody that he knows as the Christ. He's the one who would crush the head of the deceiver. Genesis 3.16 is a promise to Adam that he, the, the Messiah would come in Genesis 3. And so Adam and Eve are hoping their, their faith is in the Christ. Their faith and their hope is in the one who would come and crush the head of the deceiver. Now, when, when man trusts in Christ, when Christ comes and what the scripture says is the perfection of time, this man is under the rule of grace. Now, what was the rule he is under before? Adam, sin. When, when he comes to faith in Christ, he's under this rule of grace. Sins are not the same under the rule of grace. Sins are not the same. And now this, this is, I'm going to be bending your minds a little bit here. When the, when the charge of sin comes against the redeemed, the, the, the answer, the, 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 the force shield is Christ. And it is the righteousness of Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ, then you are in Christ. You are under the reign of grace. You stand in this place now where the charges of sin cannot equal your death. This is a a pretty profound theological thing that happens when someone is transferred from the reign of sin to the reign of grace. You still will sin. But the charge of sin doesn't end in your death. Why? Because grace, in the realm or the reign of grace... Righteousness has become yours. Why? Because of the righteousness of Christ. Standing in grace means you are in Christ, means Christ has died your death. It's not that you have avoided death. You and Christ have died together. This is a deep spiritual reality. Being under the reign of grace is a glorious, glorious truth of the gospel here. God looks at the redeemed as one who is righteous, and yet that righteous one can still sin, can't he? He does still sin. 
but he wears the righteousness of Christ. He's in the realm and the reign of grace. What can death do to this one who is standing in grace? What can death do? It can't have it. Why? Because it's already had him. Death has already had its reward. Where? In Christ. Death has already collected what it must collect. Sin has already had it. In you, in Christ, in union with Christ. So grace allows for what we call imputation. That means the, the believer is imputed with righteousness. You, you, you possess the righteousness of Christ. It's not infused to you so that you now act as a perfect sample of a human being. But it is given to you so that on a, on a courtroom type of basis, God counts you righteous. And this is how grace rules. Grace rules when you have entered into faith in Christ. Grace rules, which means when you sin, you're not condemned to die. Grace is ruling through righteousness by the righteousness of Jesus Christ the Lord. Two different reigns. So look at uh, uh, Romans 5, 20 and 21. This is a, a, a major principle in the gospel. Look at Romans 5, 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So the law had come. And what the law does is, is magnify the offensiveness of sin's sinfulness. It makes sin more apparent. When the, when the law of covetousness exposes your heart's covetings, it's not supposed to insulate you from the charge of covetousness. The, the law against coveting is supposed to make you go, oh my I'm a coveter. The law against idolatry is supposed to make you say, oh man, I'm an idolater. The laws and rules against adultery, even as the Lord Jesus taught, he says, if you've looked at a woman, if you've looked at a man with lust, you've committed adultery in your hearts. The law is never to make you a righteous person. The law magnifies your sense of your unholiness, right? It magnifies your sense of your guilt before God. So, when we read Romans 5.20 here, 5.20 says, The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Here's where we're getting to the gospel core here, this, this core gospel truth, 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. There, there, there are two parallels there. How did sin get in there so that it could reign unto death? It came in by Adam. How did grace get in there so that it might reign to righteousness and eternal life? Christ, the second Adam. This is the great, 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 amazing gospel truth. So mark those passages there. What were you in Adam? What hope did you have in Adam? And then what do you have in Christ? What do you get to hope for in Christ? In Adam, we had sin and death. In Christ, we have life and a reign of grace. So we are learning now further, deeper, more important truths about a believer's death with Christ. And, and Paul is still on the subject of sin, your sin, 
the, the sin you may do this afternoon or the one that's in your mind and in your heart right now. Sin for a Christian is wrong. How does the New Testament teach you and I about our attitude towards sin? How does it teach us to understand our relationship to sin? So in a nutshell, and in some of these words I'm going to read will come right out of the passage we read. The Christian life is for fruit to God and not sin. The Christian life is for fruit to God and not sin. We read it in the passage. This is why it's wrong for a Christian to sin. The Christian life is for fruit unto God. And it'll become more clear as we work our way through the passage. And man, what a great picture the Lord has given us to help us understand how we're supposed to understand the Christian's relationship to sin. The principle here is taught through the picture of a marriage. Romans 7, 1 again, do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. That's Romans 7, 1 and 2. The law of marriage is binding while the parties live. While the husband and the wife are alive, the rule and the law of marriage is the law. And if one or the other of them breaks the, the, the rules and the bond of that marriage, while both persons live, they have broken the law of marriage. However, if there is a death in the marriage, if the husband dies or if the wife dies in the marriage, then the person who lives and survives is able to remarry and they are free to remarry with no breakage of any law. And the principle we are are beginning to understand as he said that is is it is that the death in that bond it's it's the death that legally has broken it it's it's annulled it in a sense okay so this person is truly legally free to be married to whoever they want that's the first point there so the law releases the living partner where there's been a death. Verse 3 now, 7-3. While the husband lives, if she marries another, she would be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she's free from the law so that she's no adulteress, though she has married another man. The point isn't so much to teach us about marriage is as it is to teach the Christian who they are married to now in Christ as this passage develops. So, death in a marriage releases the surviving person to be married to someone new. So look how he continues the thought in verse 4. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Now, here's where we're getting back into this deep theological thing. Were you buried with Christ? Was your faith in Christ a death to sin? Did you die with Christ? Is your penalty for death died in the Lord Jesus. Is this how you're understanding the gospel? Is this your claim to eternal life? Verse 4 again, 7-4, My brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. You died with Christ. 
You became dead to the law when you died to Christ. That is, the law had an authority over you while you lived in that relationship to the law. And he is saying here, you were married to the law. That is the sense of what is the production between you as a man or a woman and the law under the reign of sin. What do you produce? Fruits of death is how he ends up saying it later. Death is the only hope for someone in that reign. But he said you died to the law when you died with Christ. And this is the beauty. This is the, this is the deep and meaningful thing in the Christian gospel. Did you die with Christ? And if you died with Christ, you died with the law, you became dead to the law through the body of Christ. He is saying in verse 4, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead. Romans chapter 7 here is where you learn as a Christian you are married to the Lord Jesus. Not not strictly in how you understand marriage in, in our worldly sense, but the, but the nature of your bond and commitment to the Lord Jesus is like a marriage. You have become part of that union. And remember, what we're talking about is should we continue on in sin after we become a Christian? And in order for us to understand how to think about your relationship to sin, he's teaching us that you died with Christ, you died with the, uh, to the law, and you are now in a new marriage. Fascinating, profound thing. He says you may be married to another because the, the law of sin no longer has its authority over you. Why? You died. You died. It, it can't say something to you. You died. Death to the law through Christ is the end of what was a legal binding marriage. You were bound legally to the law. But that marriage is broken. And you are raised and bound to Christ. And I'm going to say your, your bond is what a husband's bond is to his wife. Or what a wife's bond is to her husband. If you have been born again, there is a bond between you and the Savior. Just like a marriage. And isn't this an amazing way that Romans 7 is teaching us about this is how you and I are to understand our response to sin. And he goes on to further explain this for us here. If the believer has died and they're freed to be married to another, we did. We were told earlier that that made you a slave. Remember, you're a slave to the one whom you obey. You are now also counted a spouse. It's they, they're they're using the word. Um, Bride of Christ is a, is a phrase used to identify the church in the New Testament. The, the church is called the Lord's bride. But here the believer not only is a slave of Christ, now they're also seen as someone who is married to Christ in this way. So this is actually a spiritual miracle that takes place in the believer. 
And so let's look at verse 4 again and, and finish reading verse 4 because I stopped before we hit the end before. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so there it is. The point of this union is for this positive, good thing that the scripture is calling a fruit for God. So the Lord's allowing, uh, I, I call it a, a, a vicarious death. When the Lord dies so that you don't have to die, we call that a vicarious death. He, he's died in place of you. So at the judgment, you don't have to face death if you're in Christ because Christ has paid the penalty of death. Vicariously, you have died with the Lord Jesus. So you've died to the law. You've died to the marriage of your marriage to the law. You're now married to Christ. And this marriage, this union with Christ, the last phrase of the verse there says that we should bear fruit to God. Should we continue in sin? That's the question that is initially asked at 6. We're, we're now wondering about the further ramifications of a Christian and sin and how we understand it. You should continue in sin if you got married to a homewrecker. You should continue on in sin if you married somebody who loves sin and it's your job as a husband and wife to, to destroy your lives and, and the world, right? So should, should you continue in sin if you have been bound and are in union to Christ in this way? And the answer is no. A marriage has some very interesting dynamics to it that I, I think help us to continue to flush out what is being taught in this passage. You now have a new spouse and a new home and new obligations if you are in this union with Christ. We're going to look at this in a little bit of detail, but a marriage in Christ is for the fruits of life and not for the fruits of death. He has referred to the fruit that has come from a sinful life as the fruits of death. But the, the fruit that comes from the life in this new union with Christ we will call the fruits of life. Look at verse 5, Romans 7, 5. He develops this just a little bit. He says, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. You see, in this, in this union pre-Christ, in this union without Christ, what is the result of the person's life? What are the fruits that come from the life out of Christ? He calls them the fruits of death here. But there is a new relationship for the person who has left sin, who's, who's repented of their sin and joined themselves to Christ. It's a life of producing fruits of God, fruits of grace. The new birth creates fruit and creates life that is pleasing to God. 
And one thing that's important for us to realize here, and this is part of the reason why the Holy Spirit has, has put it the way he has, our fruitfulness or our pleasingness to God can't be understood as, as our adhering to rules. And this is, this is where it gets a little bit more deep for us understanding what it means to be a Christian. Fruits of godliness or, or fruits of this marriage can't be rules because there's a person intimately involved in the process, just like in a marriage. It's, it's not rules so much as it is a genuine respect of and love of your spouse is the reason why your, your days and, and weeks unfold the way they do. These, these fruits are life, and these fruits are work that result from a relationship to the one that you love. In other words, Christianity can never be rules. It can never be do and don't in isolation. When you love your wife, and when you love your husband, there are a lot of do's and don'ts in your life, aren't there? There are a lot of do's and don'ts because you respect your spouse. There are things you won't do because you love your spouse. There are things you will always do because you love your spouse. The way you treat your children will be influenced by your spouse and vice versa in, in a good marriage. When there's a good marriage and a mutual good respect for one another in the marriage, what the two people do is, is a result of their mutual love and respect for each other. That's why they go about doing what they do. And so in this marriage to Christ, we have come to know and understand that the Lord Jesus is someone who sacrifices himself with perfect self-sacrifice. So his love for those that he has died for isn't in question. How much does he love them? He loves them to the nth degree. He loves them massively. What is his level of kindness and goodness? Is the person who has been joined to Christ afraid of abuse from Christ? Are they afraid he's going to manipulate them and use them and abuse them in a way that is cruel? No, they're not. We know the love and the grace of Christ. So as we have joined into this union with Christ, we're not afraid of that common abuse of, of a husband's role in our culture and sometimes a wife's role. Sometimes men and women are, are like that with, with one another. But Christ is not an abuser. He isn't a capricious tyrant who's mean and, and, and might hurt you. He's not like that. We have great trust and love of him. And so his authority isn't resented. And we hear him how? We hear him by his word. We hear him by the teaching of his word. We hear him by the reading of his word. We understand his will and his ways by studying him. And so as we walk with him in accordance with him, it's not rules. It's your relationship to the Savior, right? You see the difference? There's a difference between obeying rules and your love and respect of your Savior. The Lord Jesus taught in Matthew 13 
I'll read you a verse, Matthew 13, 23. He said, He who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixteen, some thirty. What are the fruits that are pleasing to God that are referred to in the passage we read there in verse 4? It says that's what the marriage is for, right? It's for fruits for God. It's for something that is pleasing and right to God. And the Lord Jesus taught about seed that's received and produces fruit. Where does the seed land when the Lord Jesus was teaching the parable, the sower? It's the word of God that lands on the heart. And how come it's not understood sometimes? You guys remember we did that parable many weeks ago? Uh, they, they don't understand it, and then a bird comes and snatches it away. The bird is, is pictured as Satan, actually. So when, you're, when you hear the word of God, and if you're struggling with it, and you're not sure what you understand, you need to study it. You need to study to know and understand the will of God. It says that in Romans 12. Be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can understand the will of God. Your new groom, your union to your new groom is why we serve the Lord for a fruit that's pleasing to the Lord. Read Romans 7, 6 with me now. But now we have been delivered from the law. Having died to what we were held by, the law does not have its rule over a Christian anymore. So, we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You see how he contrasts your, does it say you serve words? No. It says we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. There is a relational component to how a Christian navigates his life. So the spirit and the letter being contrasted here speaks about the difference between the reign under the law and the reign and the rule of grace through Christ the Lord. The law can only bring condemnation. The law cannot make you righteous. What makes you righteous? Christ. The righteousness of Christ is where we find righteousness. Romans 3.20 said, By the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. How important it is for you and I to understand that, that your deeds are never going to justify you in God's sight. Your right actions if, if you got it in your mind, a certain number of days of church a year, a certain amount of giving and tithing, none of these things make you righteous. None of these things can make you righteous. Romans 3, again, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. Remember in Romans 3, the, the whole point from the beginning of Romans is, is man's need of righteousness. And finally in 3 says, now the righteousness of God is revealed. It's apart from the law. Finally in verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So being brought to faith in Christ, you have been made righteous because righteousness has been given to you. You, wearing your righteousness in Christ, you serve in what was called here in verse 6, newness of the spirit. Newness of the spirit. You serve Remember, the same root word here is slave. You serve in newness of the spirit. You serve in a relationship to and with the spirit of God. The spirit of God indwells a believer. The spirit of God convicts a believer. The spirit of God teaches a believer. And so a Christian lives and serves in a relationship to their Lord the same way that a wife serves her husband, and her family in her home. It's the same kind of a dynamic without the abuses that we've come to see or maybe even fear in our own culture. Death to the law has delivered Christian to a new spouse and a new reign and a new home to produce fruit to God as a spouse of the Lord Jesus, somebody who's been married to the Lord Jesus. Will you please turn with me to Proverbs 31? I want you to look at this with me. Proverbs 31. I'm going to give you a little bit of a picture of this husband-wife concept. Proverbs 31, verse 10 asks the question, who can find a virtuous wife? We're going to need, we're going to spiritualize our answer to this question a little bit as we're reading this passage. Number one, the proverb is about what we call the virtuous woman in the Proverbs. So there is a, a person here who fits the description of the virtuous woman. I also want you to look for, for, for parallels here, these, these types. If you were to look for a Christian who is in service to their Lord in the church, you see some indications of what that's like here in this passage as well. We see both of these things. Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So this, this is the nature of not only a, a, a great virtuous woman and how she is seen and esteemed in her home. Her husband loves her. Her husband sees her value as, as huge and great. And it goes on to say there in verse 11, he will have no lack of gain. She isn't a, a drag to the home, a cost to the home. She is an asset to the home. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She's a woman who, who knows what's going on in her home and she's taking care of her home. She's got maidservants. She's not a poor groveling woman. She's a woman overseeing a lot of activity. 
She considers a field and buys it. From her profit she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp doesn't go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is a law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. This this passage is not only about the, the, the virtuous woman here, and we, we could probably teach lessons on her for a few weeks, on the different ways she is responsible and industrious and valuable and, and recognized in her strength and her abilities and in her assets to her home. But can you see how this is also a picture of a Christian in the church? The one who has been wed to Christ is busy about the groom's business, busy about his profits, busy about advancing his name, busy about the care of our house. Do you see how the picture of the virtuous woman here brings itself right into this passage we're reading in Romans 7? Do you see that you being wed to Christ in this union with Christ to bear fruit to God is, you're given a picture of it here in this passage in Proverbs 31. Why do you serve? You serve under the, 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 the mean law of the Lord that is, that is keeping some good things from you and only using you to certain ends of his? Or do you see yourself like Proverbs 31 sees the virtuous woman and how 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 great she is in the things that she's doing in her home. This is a great picture of a Christian. John 15, 4 gives a similar a similar uh, picture of a Christian's relationship to Christ. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Remember, the point of the union in Christ is to produce fruit for God. And so as we read this passage, John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You see that the Christian isn't under the law. He's not under words. He is under Christ. He's in Christ. He's in union to Christ. Your life isn't for you just to go about living your life however you want. Your life is as part of the household of God, as a servant of God. 
Do you see how the, 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 the picture is developing here? So all the way back up in 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, may it never be. Don't you realize that when you were baptized, you died with Christ? And look at this last picture of what we're looking at here. What is the point of death with Christ? Well, it was a death to sin. It was a death to the law. It was life and a new union with Christ where you're married with Christ. Should you continue in sin? No. What, I mean, when we see women who, who live like this today, we admire them, right? We admire the hardworking woman who, who gives herself to her children and to her home and, and that man who loves her. And, and we admire those good marriages and those good homes where this is what's happening in that home. And those kids love being in that home. They grow up cared for and protected by their mom and their dad. And and and, and now in this century, we kind of look down on this thing. We, we have bad names we probably think of for this kind of marriage and this kind of world. But we don't live in this world if we're believers. Christians are wed to Christ. And Christ esteems this one that he is wed. He has wed himself to you if you're a Christian. He has wed himself to you that you and he would produce good fruits to God. That is what we're reading here in Romans chapter 7. So I hope you'll take some time this afternoon and think about what it means to have died to sin. Think about what it means to have died to sin. If you died to sin and joined yourself to Christ, and if you've joined yourself to Christ, are you, are you about the Lord's Business in the Lord's home. Is this is this what's on your heart? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you producing fruits to God by your union in the Lord Jesus? I hope so. I hope that's what's happening in your life. Let's close in prayer. Oh, great God of heaven and earth, how is it that the invisible, almighty and eternal God has bound himself to creatures who, on a regular basis, Lord, I know that we... We sin against you. We fall short. But oh God, I pray you would cause us to be quick to repent. Oh Lord, may we be fruitful. May we be full of the Spirit. May we fear walking counter to the goals and works of our home in Christ, dear God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.